0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are talking all things Week 12, people. We have 11 weeks in the book, but still plenty more to go. We got those fancy playoffs right around the corner. Need to lock down those playoff spots if you have not already. So, have one of my usual guests here that I just love spending at least an hour of time with every two weeks, and that is Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. You can find him on Twitter, at Dwayne McFarlane, a.k.a. Context Matters. Dwayne, happy Week 12, Man.
1: Man. I'm anything but the rock. Right? I, I need to be doing more working out. Uh, I've not been good about that here lately. Yeah, man, I'm happy to join. Um, excited as always. I'm in some leagues where actually playoffs start next
0: week. So it's like this last week determined who was in and who was out. So yeah, man, I'm ready. It is time. We have no bye weeks this week. All 16 games to cover. I think there's two more teams on bye next week and then there is done. We have already reached that point in the season, everybody. So, without further ado, let's get to these matchups. First up, we got Texans at Lions. Houston sitting as a two and a half point favorite over under at 51 and a half. So, I want to point out that since Bill O'Brien was fired following week four, we have had not one but two highly fantasy relevant wide receivers coming out of the Houston Texans passing game, which hey, Dwayne, it makes sense, man. Deshaun Watson is a freaking baller. He is the highest graded uh, PFF quarterback since uh, Bill O'Brien exited the picture. And during this sample size uh, since then, we have had Brandon Cooks have 50 targets. Will Fuller 46 targets. Cooks has converted those into 37 catches, 496 yards and three touchdowns. Good for the PPR wide receiver 12 in that stretch. Fuller 29 catches, 434 yards and four touchdowns. PPR wide receiver 17. So this is one of these situations where just because Brandon Cooks is playing great doesn't mean that needs to take away from Will Fuller. Again, Deshaun Watson, absolute stud. It makes sense that he can enable more than one fantasy-relevant wide receiver. He has done just that. And now we're moving Randall Cobb out of the picture. I understand people like Kiki Cootie. He's had some good games over the year. And, hey, he's a good player. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But just realize when he had those big games, mostly in 2018 as a rookie, that was when Will Fuller was usually sidelined. And then that was making Cootie the number two wide receiver in his offense. He is by far the number three option. Hey, it's fine. Five, six targets, I think, on the Thanksgiving, uh, you know, uh, just DFS slate. If you want to, you know, take a stab at him, I think, on DraftKings, only 3,300. That's fine in a one game setting, but just realize I think those you know 10 plus target games we saw in the past won't be there because it's the Brandon Cooks and Wolf Fuller show in Houston and business is a booming. Dwayne, what's going on with the Lions who maybe just maybe we could get DeAndre Swift back after he got limited practice in today?
1: Yeah, man, that's what we're hoping for. You know, it's a juicy matchup from a standpoint of running backs, it's the second best fantasy matchup, right? The way that I calculate fantasy matchup. so. Um, it, it really sucked, right? For finally, it's like it's like a, a Christmas gift that you unwrap, and it's like something, you know, like you have some sort of, a, like maybe it's a certificate saying, hey, you're going to get, you know, a new Xbox, but you got to wait until March when they're in. And that's how I felt about DeAndre Swift, right? <laughs> felt like a kid on Christmas morning who just got like the best gift ever, and I can't even play it yet. So, yeah, man, hoping that Swift's in. Again, a juicy matchup. And just for folks that didn't, you know, hear already or didn't read the utilization report, or some of Ian's stuff last week. The week before, Swift, right, jumped off the page in his utilization. So 73% of the snaps, 66% of the dropbacks, 16% of the targets. I mean, the guy was out there in the two-minute drill. He was out there in long, down, and distance. He was getting the short yardage. He was getting work inside the five. They literally moved fully to DeAndre Swift. Um, and it wasn't just a game script thing. So um, hopefully we'll get to see that. Um, if you own any, maybe and maybe and maybe right, we'll see Kenny Galladay. Let's see what happens with that as well. It's a great matchup for the receivers. Um, this could easily be a shootout game. Um, Galladay, I get it. Like if you're trying to make it into the playoffs, and let's see what goes on with his practice. But if he gets a full in, in, I, I, I got no problems getting Galladay, you know, into the lineup, you know, on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, Stafford didn't look great last week. You know, they lost twenty to nothing. But, man, you just got you want to have your best players out there. And I'm still waiting to get to use Kenny, Kenny Galladay this week. So, yeah, man, I think basically your Lions, you're starting all of them. Um, you know, if, if, if you've made it this far with them, you're not moving off of them against the Texans. It's a
0: great matchup. Yeah, certainly not a matchup for either offensive fear. I imagine this game will have most of the exposure on that th- Thanksgiving-Thursday DFS slate. Next matchup on Thanksgiving, we got the Washington football team at the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys opened as one-point favorites. That has jumped up two, three points, seeing the over-under sit, uh, sit steady around 46. So last week, uh, Dwayne, you know, we were barking a little bit on Twitter about this, but Antonio Gibson finally outsnapped J.D. McKissick by exactly one snap. So this was a situation where, look, they were able to get up on the Bengals. I mean, once Burrow went down, I believe it was the third quarter. I mean, we just knew it wasn't a game. Ryan Finley is objectively the worst starting quarterback in the NFL at this point. But because of that, we've seen this in past weeks against the Cowboys. The first time they played Washington was able to get up, play a positive game script. And because of that, Gibson ended up being the you know clear clear cut front runner. So, hey, that's great that Gibson has that in his range of outcomes. But no, we should not be expecting him to necessarily command this sort of role every single week. And and Honestly, even when McKissick's targets like dropping down to only three after he quite literally had the most targets in the NFL in weeks uh, nine through ten, inexplicably, it's just a situation I think where you know Gibson only had one target in this game. Neither guy was just getting really fed in the passing game. Which hey, this is good. I think as we've seen in Carolina for stretches this year, it's better when your passing game flows through the wide receivers and their running backs. They're effective, but you know shouldn't necessarily be your first read every single play. So it's okay that you know the Washington Football Team offense can uh, potentially enable both these guys. Just realized I'm not sure if we're going to get as fantasy-friendly game script moving forward where Gibson's going to be the lead back. So it's tough, man. You know, they're facing the same Cowboys defense they had their way with. I will say the Cowboys have been playing a little bit better since then. They got rid of some of those uh, free agent signings on the defensive line. I think the guys are generally just playing harder out there. Still not a matchup we should fear. I mean, Antonio Gibson, you know, with him seeing 15-plus touches, more weeks than not, top 20 option. McKissick, you know, we can drop him down a little bit more into that RB3 uh, role. But, you know, man, I I love the idea of making some stacks this week where if we – If we expect the Ezekiel Elliott and Cowboys to be able to play with a little bit of a lead, then hey, roll that back with J.D. McKissick because we probably won't see a game where both Zeke and Gibson are just super set up for success because both of them really need that positive game script to kind of have things go the way they want. So Zeke and running it back with McKissick on the other side, I love it on Turkey Day. Dwayne, what is going on with the Cowboys?
1: Yeah, man, I like that idea. That'll be a little bit, you know, less owned than what you'll see with Zeke and Terry McLaurin coming back the other way. So it's like you do that, or you do a Logan Thomas, something like that. I think that that's what you got to do on a on a smaller slate like this. So I like that idea. Um, yeah, man, with the Cowboys, you know, they look functional. You move Zach Martin out to right tackle from right guard, and basically Andy Dalton had a little bit of time this last week. Now the Vikings don't have a, a great pass rush, which the you know Washington does. So. It's going to be a different test, right, this week for the Cowboys offensive line. So we'll see about Dalton and what goes on there. But... Like I said, it at least looked functional, and you saw C.D. Lamb, you know, out there for a route on 80% of the routes. That's a high, right? Since all of this stuff happened, whenever Andy Dalton became the quarterback, because they basically had to shut all of that down. <laughs> because anytime a quarterback dropped back, they were basically just getting sacked. So it's nice to see that they use the bye week to really rethink some things. Um, they're trying to make the offense functional. They think they have a shot to win the division because nobody else wants it. <laughs> um, so I think with the Cowboys right now, it's kind of a proceed with caution, Ian. Um, you know, I don't like the match the matchup against this defensive line, um, and Washington's been pretty good. But it looks like the Cowboys did make the right adjustments. So I think you know it's going to be a positive for Zeke. It'll be a positive for Lamb. It's going to be a positive for everybody all the way around. Right? We're not going to be back to where we were with Dak, but. All of those guys, I think, are besides Gallup. You know, they're wide receiver two, wide receiver three range. Um, The one thing this week you could watch for um, is you could see Dalton Schultz really involved. You know, the Redskins, you know, haven't been great against tight ends. They're not. They're not. They're they're really kind of middle. Right down the middle, right? But they've been pretty good against receivers. And obviously we talked about the pass rush. So there could be a sneaky play for Dalton Schultz who's been out there. He ran like a route on like 90% of dropbacks or something
0: crazy. So he's out there all the time. And Andy Dalton is willing to look his way. Yeah, Dalton last week, only pressure on 12% of his dropbacks in weeks one through 10, 35%. So yeah, if they can keep uh, the Red Rocket upright, he can make some things happen with all those skill position weapons around him. Uh, it's a Thursday night matchup, T- tentatively still expected to play. Ravens are having quite the uh, COVID outbreak on their hands at the moment. But we have Ravens at the Steelers. Pittsburgh sitting as four and a half point favorites. Game total is at 45. So, uh, you know, mentioning those COVID uh, you know, b- uh, outbreaks that have been going on in Baltimore, it's most specifically hit the running back room, both J.K. Dobbins and Mark A. Ingram are gonna unfortunately be missing this game. Incredibly unfortunate because last week Dobbins really broke out, seized control of this backfield, played 63% of the offensive snaps, 15 carries. Ingram was at 8%, Gus Edwards at 21%. It was a moment we've been waiting weeks for. And similar to DeAndre Swift getting yanked away from us, right? When it was Christmas morning, as as Dwayne alluded to, similar situation here with JK Dobbins. So unfortunately, not going to be free JK week, but hey, now we have Gus Edwards. I would just say that, you know, we have a large sample size of Gus Edwards being the Ravens feature back. You go back in 2018 when they originally put Lamar Jackson in halfway through the year. Gus Edwards, Gus Edwards came in and was a feature back then as well. And we also have Week 17 last year and a couple games without Ingram. All in all, it's been an 11-game sample size of him functioning as the Ravens starting RB. And it's been productive. He's averaged 16.3 rush attempts in those games. Just realize, I mean, the overwhelming majority, I mean, only in three of those 11 starts did he play even 50% of the offensive snaps. I would predict predict him to uh, uh, clear that mark in this one, but they trust Justice. Hill. Justice Hill played 47 snaps in their AFC divisional round loss lost the Titans. I mean, that was more than Ingram and Edwards combined, so if the Ravens get down against the Steelers, there is a realistic chance we could see Hill out there a bunch. Now, I'm still ranking Edwards as a top 20 RB this week. I get it. You know, 15 to 20 touches inside the Ravens' offense. Like, that'll work. That's the volume we're looking for in RB2 land, but again, you know, just sticking a little bit more with a, with, a, with this uh, DFS team, which, hey, I got a, an article on the uh, Thanksgiving Day uh, DFS slate out coming on Wednesday. should be up by the time you're listening to podcast so check that out if you're more interested but I don't hate the you know galaxy brain just big tournament thought of going with Justice Hill because again they do trust him Edwards is going to be awfully chalky and I don't think if he's going to have that sort of a you know touch ceiling that we're hoping for if this game gets away from the Ravens which you know the way they've been performing lately I'm not so sure so season long yeah you're starting Gus Edwards no problem Justice Hill isn't a season-long option even in that game against the Titans where he did outsnap these guys he only had five or six targets and didn't even get a rush attempt so it's the Gus Edwards show but But again, on a three-game slate, we're trying to get a little crazy. Justice Hill might be on the field more than we think. Dwayne, quick uh, expectations with Gus Edwards in this role, and then him with some Steelers goodness.
1: Yeah, I think, man, you hit it all. Uh, A, A, it sucks, right? The J.K. Dobbins, it is the exact same thing as DeAndre Swift. And it really was a breakout, right? This wasn't something where, oh, the game script was just right. You know, that's the kind of stuff I dig into for the utilization report each week, you know, for the site, um, which it'll be out, you know, uh, early tomorrow morning. But, man, Dobbins was getting work across all the situations, right? Um, he was and a key thing I look at, you know, Ian is the first down utilization, right? And he was really gobbling all of that up. Um, none of it was going to Ingram. None of it was going to Edwards. They just basically said, look, dude, it's yours. Just, just go with it. And, And he was, he was seeing passing downs. He was seeing stuff inside the five. He was seeing short down and distance, everything you could ask for basically. Um, I agree with you on Justice Hill. He's gonna be out there way more than what people expect. The A, I mean, the Ravens just love to rotate players. Go look at Raven snaps across all players except offensive linemen, right? They rotate tight ends, they rotate receivers, they rotate running backs. I mean, the quarterback and the and the offensive linemen are really the only things that stay out there all of the time. If you look at the rest of their positions, they rotate more than most other teams in the NFL. Um, so you will see Justice Hill out there quite a bit. I expect him to handle the two-minute offense. I expect him to handle the long down distance. I think four to five targets is in play, maybe six, seven carries. I agree with you. He could pop a big one. Now it's not a great matchup against, you know, the Steelers, but they could also go contrarian knowing they just can't pound it right straight into the Steelers. So, um, yeah, as far as, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the Steelers, you know, only a couple things really to say about them. You know, we've talked about James Conner last time and it was kind of like, well, who, why is James Conner down? Who's taking this work? You know, and you had even brought up how often they were running the empty sets. And so over the last two weeks, um, you know, 77 percent and 63 percent of the snaps the Steelers have had the lead. Right in those two games, they have thrown on 70 and 64 percent of their plays. Sheesh. They're just throwing. That's what they're doing. Their offense is a passing offense. They're letting Ben win the games. They're spreading the field out. And I mean, why not? I mean, you got Eric Ebron out there for over ninety percent of the snaps. You got Chase Claypool that's usually out there for about eighty percent of the routes, and then you got Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith Schuster out there pretty much the whole time. I didn't check the practice report today on Juju. I don't know if you saw anything
0: on him, Ian. He's but- uh, he got up to limited, so he's on track. Okay.
1: Yeah, so it was a toe issue, and it was a weird deal. Like he was just coming off the field, you know. And it's like basically stubbed his toe, and then he was out for the rest of the game. So those are always weird. You know, you're always concerned with a toe, and we've had a juju toe issue before, right? And we and it it's it's bothered it bothered him early last season um, as well. So um, that's the big thing with the Steelers. You know, James Conner is really your weekly question, right? I mean, where we thought he would be a 20 touch per game guy, really, he's turned into. He's kind of in that range like with Gibson and a lot of these other guys. I think a lot of people think of Connor and it's the name brand and they think, oh no, he's up here. Really, like his utilization is down there with a lot of the guys that we struggle to predict every week. I mean, he's really going to be in that 10 to 15 touch range, and you need a touchdown out of him. So Connor's a guy that I'm I'm willing to put on benches where I need to in, where I know I've got important games coming and I need to I need to get a victory. I am fine putting James Connor on the bench if I've got another
0: option. Yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, for James Conner, fantasy football managers, but you watch this Steelers offense, you can see why they want to throw these ball, throw the ball to the wide receivers as much as they've been doing. Dwayne, last thing on this game, so when they played in Week 8, Deontay Johnson, he had a hamstring nick in like the first quarter, but he ended up playing 77% of the offensive snaps. We just kind of, you know, everyone loves Deontay Johnson. I love Deontay. We, we all love Deontay Johnson, so we've been throwing that game out a little bit and saying he was hurt, but he was out there for, again, 77% snaps and been playing ever since. Only three targets. So, you know, if we got him right next to Claypool and the DK pricing, you know, Juju's a little bit cheaper we know Juju's playing through the pain just straight up this week do you want deontay or claypool
1: yeah i want claypool straight up yeah. this week just I, i'm with they, you i'm with you they do more with him as far as moving him around i mean deontay johnson's been great but claypool just gets more protection from the scheme and the things that they do and he also is the guy that gets more of the looks right as far as you know the deep throws as well as opportunities in the end zone and he gets involved a little bit in the rushing game too
0: yeah Tricky to uh, you know, gotta be careful trusting a one-game sample size like this. But yes, I do think all things equal. We're trying to take down that tournament, give me Chase Claypool at pretty much equal cost against Deontay this week. Uh, now on to the Sunday matches. We got the Los Angeles Chargers at the Buffalo Bills. Bills sitting at six-point favorites, over-under, up from 50 to 53 and a half, because the Chargers and the Bills to an extent pretty much cannot play a game without their opponent shooting out. So expecting a bunch of points in this one. It is one of, you know, the f- highest totals of the week. And I believe Raiders Falcons is number one, but this one is up there. Maybe. Just maybe we get Austin Eckler back this week, people. He has been active. His practice window has been activated, so we're expecting to see him out there. Still might be a week early. We'll see. But, you know, the guy's been posting videos for weeks now of him running and doing weights and all that. Just an absolute beast. And I'm excited to get Eckler back and in this version of the Chargers offense because we go back to, you know, the preseason, the big debates about Austin Eckler. Oh, is he really a three-down back? Uh, is he someone that's going to be able to overcome an offense that maybe has Tyrod Taylor not throwing the ball his running backs as much? Or, you know, is he going to suffer from having a rookie in there? Well, if we fast forward 11 months, now we know that rookie has been one of the most productive rookies through the air in NFL history. And this is suddenly just an offense that has no competition in running at the running back room. Whereas before, we were worried about Justin Jackson. People were actually questioning whether Joshua Kelly could overtake Austin Eckler, which, you know, we'll save that rant for another day. But, you know, I think Eckler is walking back into, you know, one of the most fantasy-friendly situations we could ask for. If he is at 100% getting his usual workload, he is going to be a legit top five, if not top three option at the RB position going the rest of the way. The things this guy can do as a receiver are absolutely outrageous. And that's, as a rusher, I mean, he was racking up more broken tackles than just about anybody in the early part of this season. So, you know, I, I've seen some people say, oh, Eckler comes back. He might, you know, be in that RB2 range. If Eckler comes back, he's a top five RB at the position. Again, I feel like just be, sometimes that undrafted free agent thing just falls guys around their entire career. Like all Eckler has done since being in the NFL has functioned, is function as one of the league's most efficient players at the position. He can run, he can catch, the guy can do it all. And I hope you all kept him on the bench or in the IR spot because if it's not this week, it's coming soon. And Austin Eckler is going to be a fantasy star down the stretch in 2020. Dwayne, what's going on with the Bills?
1: Yeah, man, with the Bills, we're going to have to watch the practice report. We're going to have to see what happens with John Brown, right? We, there was a report that it might have been a high ankle sprain. I was actually watching the game when that play happened. I was I was originally worried that it was was his knee the way that he had landed. But Brown had really been getting a lot of targets, man. I mean, he, was being, he had seen nine, ten targets per game in this offense, like you said. It goes into a shootout mode, it seems like, almost every single game. Um, it's uh, one of the highest point totals on the slate. So I think the two guys to watch, right, if for some reason – um, you know John Brown can't go is to watch for Gabriel Davis who's really been playing in all of the ten personnel groupings he's looked really good he could see more work he had a game earlier in the season when John Brown was out where he had nine targets and then you've got Cole Beasley right and Beasley's just been really uh, you know a little bit up and down but he's had a 13 target game which was the game the last game against the Cardinals and then he had a 12 target game in week seven so Beasley's certainly capable and in some of those weeks where John Brown was out it was six targets six targets seven targets six targets so I mean that's pretty Solid. And if he's got an upside to get to 10 or 11. You know, Beasley's a guy that you can you can feel pretty good about putting in your lineup. You know, the touchdown's a little more iffy for him. Um, the big plays aren't as great, but man, he can be a PPR monster. So just remember both of those guys. The one other thing I'm interested in seeing, all a lot of these teams, right, have come out of their bye, and, and they've really made some changes, right, with their teams. We talked about the Cowboys. We've heard about some of these other running backs. I'm really interested to see what they do with Zach Moss because, you know, if you look at Moss, you look at Singletary. They've just been hovering right around equal. It started off where where Singletary was ahead. Moss got injured. You know, he came back. And now they're really dead even, like I said. But I think Moss is the guy that carries really the broader skill set, right? He can catch passes. He can block. Yeah, he doesn't make tacklers miss as much, but he runs with more power. He can run inside. He can run outside. I'm interested to see, does Zach Moss really become the latest rookie to join J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift? where maybe he's going to get 65,
0: 70% of the work. And if he does in this offense,
1: that's going to be really good for folks who have hung on to him.
0: Yeah, last seven games of Chargers are played in 69 points, 57, 68, 61, 57, 50, and most recently 62. So even if Moss doesn't get that breakthrough in usage, I mean, he's been a touchdown dependent RB3. Seems like the touchdowns could be flowing for everybody involved in this shootout. Uh, next matchup, we got Titans out the Colts. Colts sitting as four and a half point favorites down to three and a half game total up from 49 and a half to 51. So I'm sitting on my couch watching, you know, the games on Sunday. It's about 345. I've received, you know, DMs, ads, maybe even a text from an angry family relative or two about just, hey, Ian, what's happening to A.J. Brown? Where's A.J. Brown? What's going on with A.J. Brown? I don't know, everyone. I was more pissed off than you were at that point in the game. And then A.J. Brown came back with the touchdown of the season. Absolutely ridiculous. Caught like a freaking five-yard in. Had no less than four guys around him. Didn't even matter. Broke all the tackles. Jeremy McNichols tried to, you know, push him in. It didn't freaking matter. It's A.J. Brown, everybody. And we just look at this season he has put together. It's like it would make sense at this point if we did see a Doug game out of A.J. Brown because, you know, I've called him a boomer boom wide receiver, you know, a little bit ironically. But that's kind of what we're looking at now because, my goodness, man, He had the week one game where he only had five catches for 39 yards, was clearly playing injured because he missed, you know, the next uh, two games they had. And since then, he has scored in every single game, except week 10 against the Colts. And now he gets his chance to have revenge. He had a 70-yard potential bomb touchdown in that game, hit him in the chest, unfortunately fall to the ground. We've seen him have a little bit of drops, these issues in the past two weeks. Not something he you know struggled with in 2019 or in the earlier parts of the season. Keep going back to the well. AJB wide receiver one season is alive and well. And I will say Corey Davis keeps on balling as well. So I really, you know, every, time, every week I do the game-by-game breakdown pod on a Sunday night and I almost didn't even talk about Corey Davis because I'm just you know so biased towards AJ Brown these days but hey 113 yards on his own right when we got to the point that we were trusting Corey Davis as a wide receiver too he goose egged us in week nine but then he's come back with you know back-to-back five catch efforts so you know similar to AJ Brown like it's okay for a great wide receiver to have a down week here or there it happens to everyone across the league you know don't be afraid to go back to both Davis and Brown and fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. Dwayne, you know, again, just happy AJB wide receiver one season, man. And then hit me with some Colts.
1: Man, always happy for AJB season. <laughs> I'm always on board with that. So hey, let's just continue on with the theme here, right? Rookie running backs. You know, another guy that we saw that maybe, let's hope, right? Got on track last week. That was Jonathan Taylor. Uh, You know, the three weeks before it was terrible In I mean, it was really bad. It was the point where you couldn't play him, right? 34%, 31%, and 24% of the snaps. You know, uh, as far as his rushing attempts, he had seen 11, 6, and 7. Well, he comes out this past weekend, 22 attempts. That's 50%, you know, for the team, 55% of the snaps, 35% routes, 13%, of the target. So that's four targets, which is really solid. The other thing I really like that I'm seeing that's the most encouraging for me, right? When you dig in a little bit deeper, 60% of the long down and distance work he's getting, and that's been over multiple weeks. So here are his last uh, four games in long down and distance, 100%, 67%, 50%, and 60% of the snaps, right? So they trust him out there in pass pro. They trust him out there whenever they need him you know, to, to catch a ball. Um, they're still going to go with the Heem Hines in the two-minute offense. That's always going to be his. You're probably going to see Jordan Wilkins still sprinkled in here or there. But I think Taylor may have done just enough, Ian, to really just kind of limit that Wilkins, you know, role and hopefully he can take over the majority, you know, of of this backfield. When I say the majority, like I said, it's still going to be three guys, but if he can stay around that 50 to 60% mark, right, for his attempts each week, if he can pick up three to four targets, we know you've got a good offensive line. This is a team that's usually in the game. They've got a decent defense. And they really don't have a star right now. Like, there's nobody they can lean on. They're they're spreading it around everywhere. Uh, Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman could be coming on as well. I wrote about him last week in the utilization report. If, if folks want to see that more, but for right now, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is the guy that. Right now, I'm still considering him. You know, he he's an RB2 anyway, right? He's like RB16 on the season, despite all of his issues. That's just how crazy the running back season has been this year. Um, but I think you got to put him in the RB2 conversation. Low end, yeah, he could still he could still cause you some problems. But this weekend, you've just got such a juicy matchup, right? You got Tennessee, which is a plus 4.5 points in PPR to running backs. So backs playing Tennessee average 4.5 points more than what they usually do when they play the Titans. So Jonathan Taylor's a guy that, you know, it's going to be really hard to keep him out of your lineup this week. And
0: maybe we
1: are crossing that line where they're finally just going to let this guy run.
0: Hines is going to be in there. He's going to be involved in the two-man situations, as you said. But if we can get Wilkins just to chill out and give us his two RB backfield, please, yes, I agree with you. We could have a nice little ending stretch here for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Panthers at Vikings next game up. we got the Vikings sitting as four-point favorites over under sitting at 48-and-a-half. So, Mike Davis, just keep it coming, everyone. I understand that we had those down weeks before, but, you know, had that just great spot against the Lions last week. And, you know, we told you on the show, just go back to him as the RB1 because that's exactly what his usage has really been. All season, And you look at the bus games, you know, in week seven, uh, week eight, and week 10, he finished as, you know, the RB30, RB32, and RB30 just in PPR weekly scoring. But those games, I mean, they're just weird situations. They only ran 52, 43, and then 47 plays. I mean, they average over 61 plays per game on the season. So it was just these games where, like, you don't really see anybody getting the work. I mean, we were talking about James Conner earlier and, like, some of the bad games he has. Similar to Conner, when Mike Davis has had the rough games, it's not because, you know, we have Rodney Smith or Trenton Cannon or one of other running backs taking away his usage. No, it's just been a matter of usually the offense isn't doing what it needs to do. And, you know, the Panthers defense is kind of getting blown out. So it's a good team. We saw that P.J. Walker can go out there and, you know, not tank the offense. I think, you know, he's going to have rougher days ahead of him. Wasn't, you know, a flawless performance or anything like that. But sounds like Teddy's going to be back soon enough anyway. And look, just realize that Christian McCaffrey, when he's in there, obviously it's, you know, a top three running back in the entire league. McCaffrey's actually averaging more fantasy points per game in 2020. than He did in 2019, which is absolutely wild. No small sample size, but still wild. Uh, But Mike Davis, you know, hey, he's not Christian McCaffrey, but that's okay. He doesn't need to be. He's still a top 10, top 12 fantasy RB as long as CMC remains sidelined. Dwayne, what's going on with the Vikings?
1: Yeah, man, we're seeing the Vikings um, from a from a passing standpoint, right? You saw Adam Thielen get back on the board. You saw Justin Jefferson continue to do his thing. You know, so if you look at Adam Thielen over the last three games, he's got six end zone targets and seemingly comes down with all of them. <laughs> you know, the guy just is making some great catches. CD Lamb had a really awesome catch early in that game where he had to. Really, you know, from a from a body adjustment standpoint, it was amazing what Lamb did, and then basically Thielen come out, came out and just basically one upped him. You know, said, "Hey, or watch this in the back corner," you know, one handed toe tap. You know, I'm going to get it in, and we're going to score the touchdown. And then, you know, Jefferson is really just continuing to be the field stretcher. So if you look at him over the last three games, 308 air yards, a lot of this coming off of play action, which we've talked about before. So this season, a play action pass is worth 12% more than a regular pass to wide receivers. So that gives you an idea. Like, it's not huge, but, hey, if you can get a tenth extra, right, and for some teams it's worth a lot more than others, and Minnesota is one of those. because So for Minnesota, if you look at them, you look at Cleveland, you look at the teams that are really heavy – you know, in the running game and using play action. Um, When the quarterbacks have accuracy, you know it can be worth even more. It can be like an additional twenty-five percent per target. So those guys, even though their volume isn't as good as some other players, their efficiency remains really high. So they're guys you're going to continue to start. Not a great matchup this weekend against Carolina. Technically speaking, Carolina is the worst matchup for quarterbacks from a fantasy perspective, you know, in the way that I calculate it. And it's funny because it's not like a defense. When you look at it, you're like, oh my gosh, they're getting all these sacks and they're forcing all of these turnovers. It's just really more of this bend but don't break. You know, kind of defense, which is pretty amazing considering like, you know, what all they've gone through and how much of a, you know, how much of a change they've had bringing in a new coaching staff and everything else. So um, Cousins is a guy, you know, is going to be up and down because if they can rely on the running game with Dalvin Cook, right, who's a beast, they're going to do that. But in the games where they are forced to throw, it just shows you, right, that Thielen and Jefferson can both be supported. And so they're guys that you just pretty much, Ian, you got to just put them in your lineup, right, and just roll with it each week. I know most people are going to start Thielen every week, but I've gotten to where I'm just that way with Jefferson, right? I just, if I him, if I have him on a team, I just put him in there and I, because I don't want to miss the big week. I
0: know I'm going to have the you know the nine and ten point games, but I don't want to miss on the 30-pointers. So, just got a tweet out from NFL Network's Tom Pelocero. So, Adam Thielen has tested positive once and negative once for COVID 19. So, chance it could be a false positive. We'll see, but he's on the COVID list right now. So, it seems like he has a chance to play this week. Real quick, Dwayne, just kind of knee jerk reaction. If Thielen is out, how high are you ranking Justin Jefferson this week?
1: Oh, he'll be in my top 12 (laughs) for sure. 100%. uh, If that happens. And I think Irv Smith moves into the conversation for tight end one, you know, as well. He's, He's recovering from a growing from a growing injury, but we had seen before that occurred, right? Again, you know, this year that where we just can't seem to have many good things, right? I'm ready for this year to be over. But, you know, if you look at Irv Smith before, you know, that growing injury, like he was slowly growing. He had gotten to the point where he was running a route on pretty much like 70, 75% of the dropbacks. Really, he had eliminated, you know, the competition with Kyle Rudolph, who was really staying in the block more. And so if he's healthy, we could, we could see him, you know, really work his way into maybe 15, 20% of the targets.
0: Yeah, we've even seen them willing to put Irv Smith out in the slot and just out wide as a true wide receiver for 10 plus snaps a game. I'm with you. I think Irv, not BC Johnson, not Chad Beebe, not any of these other guys would be the main beneficiary from Thielen being out. Uh, Next matchup, we got the Browns at the Jaguars. Cleveland sitting at six and a half point favorites with a game total of 49. Look, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They both somehow managed to jump over other humans in the same game, which is just absolutely insane to me. And last week was kind of like the only tough matchup they really, truly have remained. They got the Ravens in week 14, but other than that, we got the Jaguars this week, the 27th ranked defense in PPR points per game, allowed to RBs. Titans in week 13, who ranked 24th. I mentioned the Ravens, they ranked 14th. And then Giants, who ranked 25th. And the Jets, who ranked 26th on Championship Sunday in week 16. So, you know, last week I, I realized Hunt, I think he only had 13 Yards on his 13 carries, like wasn't good, other than the one awesome touchdown he had. So, Chubb, you know, was just a guy looking like a complete monster out there. But look, both these guys, likely top 10, if not top five, you know, real life backs in fantasy land, they're not too far off that as well at this point, particularly when they can play with this sort of positive game script. So, in this post OBJ version of the offense, Chubb and Hunt are their best two playmakers. And the, you know, c- credit to coach Kevin Stefanski for realizing that really run the entire offense through his backfield. It's been successful. Browns were seven and three they've been playing with you know just some awful weather so I don't want to say that they've done it completely without Baker Mayfield but hey man he actually has been worse than he was over the past two years so far but whatever right now I'm just complimenting Hunt and Chubb fire up both these guys we can like to your point like Chubb is your Adam Thielen but I think Kareem Hunt you know is your Justin Jefferson of this like you got to find a way more weeks than not to get these guys in your fantasy lineup particularly Chubb and man like if Kareem Hunt's not in there you better have just a bunch of top uh, you know true top 10 options ahead of him because again there's more than enough opportunity to go around in this backfield which is rare to see but uh, that is the reality we have in Cleveland Dwayne what's going on with Jake Luton and just a Jaguars team that gets more sad by the week
1: yeah, man. Hopefully, we'll see Minshew back. But even if Minshew's healthy, who knows what they're going to do? Um, you know, so we'll have to wait and see. But here's the here's the thing I would say to folks: just don't forget DJ Chark. Right? He's really he had a tough matchup. You know, and then he's had some weather, you know, that he's had to deal with. And, you know, in the game two weeks ago, but he's still out there. He's still seeing, you know, targets. The offense has just been a little bit off track. So Chark, before, you know, the tough matchup and before the weather became an issue, remember those three games before he had 488 air yards and that's not gone. That's still there. So Chark still, he still gives you wide receiver one upside every week. If your, if your league still has, you know, trade, you know, if your trading is still open and you're in a season long league, you know, if he's a guy that you can go target and get I'm not saying go pay a ton for DJ chart because we don't love the quarterback situation. But if you've got somebody where they're just, he's just sitting on their bench, they're not using him and you've got a part you can give away, DJ chart's the kind of guy that I like to target. And if Minshew does happen to come back and be the quarterback moving forward, you know, he and he and Chark, they work great together. So you'll you'll potentially have a wide receiver one on your hands for the rest of the season. I do think Chark has that in his range of outcomes if men choose back as the quarterback. The only other guy to mention here, right, is just James Robinson. This guy's just insane, Ian. Like, it's just... Every week, right? You keep waiting. It's like, oh, Divino Zigvo's coming back. Are they going to work him into the mix? Nope. <laughs> Zero carries. Chris Thompson, you know, was out this week due to an injury. So they had uh, Dario Agonbowale was available to them, and he played some of the passing down snaps. But James Robinson, 100 Percent of the attempts. So here are his attempt shares over the last four weeks 92%, 96%, 92%, 100%. It really doesn't get better than that. He also took 100% of the snaps in the two minute offense this past week uh, with Chris Thompson out, and he's not being used as much on the long down and distance. That's where they're working in some of these other guys. But hey, in this year, um, in this economy, Ian, in this economy, um, you know, hey, you, you, you'll you take everything you can get from James Robinson. Had a few tough matchups, but, man, you got just got to keep plugging him in, guys. You know, 71% of the snaps, this guy's out there all the time. He's getting all the carries. And, again, another guy that we just really, I just want Minshew to come back, man. You know, I know Minshew's not great, but he's good for fantasy football. Um, he keeps the team, you know, um, slinging the ball around. He just helps them move the chains more. So really hoping that Minshew comes back. That helps everybody here.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Robinson made the most out of that, you know, really impossible spot against the Steelers. And don't forget, in that week 10 game against the Packers, had not one but two 15-plus yard touchdowns nullified by penalty. So don't get it twisted. Even if the Jaguars, you know, are one of the stinkers of the entire league. James Robinson continues to play great on a week-to-week basis. Next matchup, just a doozy right here. We got the Giants out the Bengals. New York sitting as uh, five and a half point favorites, opened up four and a half, over-under, down from 45 to 42 and a half. So uh Wayne Gallman, I think we actually can really trust him in this spot when Joe Burrow was going to be there. I would maybe have been a little bit uh, less off it because I could have seen you know him and the Bengals actually building a lead here. But hey, Devonte Freeman—he's going to be on IR for at least another week. And even though Alfred Morris is annoyingly involved, I mean, we go going back to Week Ten it was Wayne Gallman at 58% snaps, Alfred Morris at 22%, Dion Lewis at 19%. I mean, Gallman has 18 carries, but Morris stole eight of them. Dion Lewis stole two targets. This is not you know a Saquon Barkley or even you know what the role Freeman was seeing before he got hurt. It's a little bit different. But hey. This is, you know, the sort of positive game script spot where Gallman could continue to thrive to his credit. He scored five times in his last four games. You know, in the post-Barkley back though, I think he has, you know, looked like the best back in New York, better than Dusty Devontae and Deion Lewis hasn't done much all season long. Alfred Morris is doing his thing, I guess. But look, Gallman is a starting running back. He's the lead running back there. And you know, I'm making my I used to make my rankings on Wednesday morning, but I think it's gonna be hard to keep him out in that top twenty once I get there, man. Because it's a great matchup, you know. Best case narrow matchup we could ask for against a Bengals team that, you know, I don't want to say they're gonna be quitting out there, but you gotta think motivation is running uh, a little bit of a low point there without having Burrow. I just, you know, I'm curious on your thoughts about Ryan Finley because again, I truly do think he is the worst starting quarterback in the league at this moment, and because of that, it's good to have this, you know, not the workhorse running back on their side, but close to a bell cow and Wayne Gallman. So go with Wayne. You know, wide receivers pretty up in the air. I Sterling Shepard, your safest bet there, and Evan Ingram's—you uh, know—been getting fed more weeks than not uh, in, in the past. So, you know, Daniel Jones, hey, if he runs, he can be usable. But I think more than anything, Wayne Gallman's really the only guy I'm excited about from this Giants offense. And even then, you know, we're we're we're, we're pinching pennies a little bit here. Dwayne, hit me with uh, some Ryan Finley and Bengals goodness.
1: <clears throat> Man, it—I <laughs> felt good. Like I was going to start with the positive, right? I was going to start <laughs> with the positive that T Higgins had a season high in routes, ninety-two percent. Saw 10 targets. I had talked about it on Twitter, you know, a little bit before the game. that I thought this was the week where t e was going to finally hit the 10-target mark. You know, he had just been slowly chipping away, little by little. He had already been – I mean, people know he had already been great, you know. Um, but he had just been chipping away towards that 10, you know, uh, target mark. I just didn't know four of them were going to come from Finley, <laughs> of which none were catchable. Uh, and one of them was intercepted. So, as far as Finley goes, yeah, man, I'm with you. Um, I went back and watched some of that. It, it was very hard to watch. I watched him some last year. It was really bad. I know they promoted Brandon Allen, but really, what does that do? Like, I, you know, it's almost the same. Maybe he's slightly better, right, than Finley. Um, but it's really problematic, man, and, and it stinks. You know, it's it, 2020 continues. You lose Joe Burrow. This really, it's really a, you know, this really dampens the outlook of T. Higgins for the rest of the season. It does dampen Tyler Boyd. Now, Finley did feed Boyd last year down the stretch, and Boyd remained viable, right? It wasn't a super efficient offense, but he did continue to catch passes, so you've got that going for you. Uh, While Finley was in, 29% of the targets went to T. Higgins, 14% went to A.J. uh, Green, 14% to Boyd, and 14% to Sample. Um, And one other odd twist, as only the Bengals or the Bungles can do, Ian all of a sudden, Geo. If, if I said, "Hey, Ian, what kind of back is Gio Bernard?" Like, what would you say?
0: Scat back. Yeah,
1: he's a scat back. He's a receiving back, right? He's there to catch passes. No, he's not. No, he's not. That's what Samaje Perine is for. Samaje Perine, eighty-three mm-hmm. percent oh, of the long down and distance, and sixty-three percent of the two-minute work. I like. You can't make this up. <laughs> like Gio, you know, the coaching staff talks about what a great receiver he is and how they got to get him on the field and why he's always been a hindrance to Mixon and now all of a sudden Samaje P Ryan are you kidding me now he is the guy you want to have out so it really sucks man the, the loss of burrow and now this splitting time with Samaje P Ryan and the most critical situations were really geo if you were using him that's where he was earning you know his that's where he was earning you his fantasy points really more through the passing game and now he's not going to be involved with that i mean geo basically even while Mixon's still out is almost unstartable for me at this point right it's just it's like a double whammy for him so that really stinks um but man, that's enough on the Bingles. I could give you some more, but that's that's already too much. Like you should've already like just cut my mic off.
0: That's all we needed, man. Because look, I, I went through this backfield today and I saw Samaj P. 9 snaps creeping up, but I don't dig quite as deep into every situation as you do in your utilization report. And that's why the utilization report is one of the most actionable pieces on the freaking internet, man. That's great stuff there. It doesn't make any sense why the Bengals are doing that. But for me, like Gio was the last guy. I mean, I called him, you know, a low ceiling RB3. So I wasn't exactly, you know, all over him. But he was the last guy that I thought maybe we could start. No, that's out the window. We're not starting any Bengals this week. And until further notice, we got to see something out of this offense. Last year in three, Finley starts, 13 points, 10 points, 10 points. Stay away. We're done. Sorry for talking so long about them, everyone. Uh, next matchup, Cardinals at the Patriots. Started as a pick em. Now we got the Cardinals as two-point favorites over under up from 48 to 49 and a half. So, you know, can Kyla Murray overcome this Patriots defense that, let's face it, hasn't it been the same, you know, world-beating unit in 2020, even getting Stefan Gilmore back last week. Really couldn't slow on Deshaun Watson throughout that game. So, yeah, my answer is yes, Kyla Murray and company should be just fine. I mean, last week, you know, he threw for two and six, nine, nine yards and a pair of scores against the Seahawks because who doesn't throw for multiple scores against the Seahawks, but surprisingly only 15 rushing yards. So maybe I was thinking that could it be a situation where the Patriots do know what it takes to slow down mobile QBs? Not really. I mean, Lamar Jackson, 51 rushing yards uh, when they played this year. Last year, had 61 and two touchdowns. Deshaun Watson had 36 rushing yards in his score last week. Josh Allen has scored, you know, in two of his three games against the Patriots over the years. And he had 43 rushing yards in the other one. So, you know, Murray, like you watch this dude play, man. Like so many of his rushing yards are just out of scrambles. I think that's what's kind of making him so freaking hard to game plan more, uh, for. And you see that happening. And look, I mean, the floor is just out of this world, man. This year, only four players have more than 115 fantasy points from purely rushing production. Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Dalvin Cook, and Kyler freaking Murray. Somehow the passing usage and stats. That's just like icing on the cake, man. Kyler Murray would pretty much already be a QB one, even if we hardly count his passing production. So, you know, I, I have him as my number one overall quarterback of the week. He's been it all year, deserves to continue to be it. you know, Hopkins against Gilmore. Hey, it's DeAndre Hopkins. He can win against anybody, you know, soothe the expectations. And then McKenna, Drake, and uh, Chase Edmonds, they are splitting snaps right, right now, people. I'm still getting a bunch of Chase Edmonds start sick questions. It's going to be a sit for me most of the time because, hey, we'll have times like last week where he's able to Convert, you know, one of those six or seven touches into a lucky score. I mean, it was a lucky score, let's be honest. No one guarded the guy. He's the second most wide open touchdown of the year per next uh, gen stat. So nothing against Chase Edmonds. But while it's this split, Drake is, you know, kind of this like upper end RB3 just getting his 15 rush attempts. But other than that, it's really tough. So hey, keep going back the wall with Kyler. He is set to freaking ball as he always does because nobody can freaking catch this short fast dude. Dwayne, what's going on with Cam Newton?
1: Gotta love the short, fast quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Cam, you know, he's he's in a decent spot this week, right? They're, they're going to have to throw the ball. They're not going to be able to... The, the Patriots, you know, the way they want to win football games right now is they want to slow things down. They want to keep it where they can have Damian Harris on the field and they can just pound on people. But Kyler Murray's not going to allow that to happen, right? That's just not going to happen with the Cardinals. So he's going to have to drop back to throw. That's going to be a good thing for Jacoby Myers. I know he had a little bit of a bump in the road this last week, but his routes, everything were. Still there, right? He's still operating from the slot. Also, saw a little bit of maybe, maybe I'm gonna call this a maybe. Like this guy, like, you know, it's popular to have a redacted list. This guy's almost on my redacted <laughs> list, but it's, you know, Nikhil Harry. of the routes. He saw 22% of the targets. He worked from the slot, 47% of snaps. And that's really important for Harry because if you go back and you think about his game in college, right, he was a guy that struggled to beat press coverage, right, when he faced better cornerbacks. Um, He really wasn't that great on the outside, you know, other than catching back shoulder fades, um, you know, where he could trap it to his body. But really, he's an after-the-catch kind of guy, right? He does have a little bit of, you know, almost like an Anquan Bolden-esque kind of, uh, quality to his game. I'm not calling him Anquan Bolden. Um, but if you can get him into space and you can let him operate from situations where he can win, I think that's helpful to him. And so it's interesting to see if they keep using him a little bit more, you know, in the slot and they move, uh, you know, Myers outside a little bit, you know, more often, I think Harry could end up having some value down the stretch. You know, he was a first read on his, on 86% of his targets. Um, the other guy, obviously, we've got to talk about here is to really just the backfield, right? Overall, you got Burkhead, who's out. You know, he was lost for the game. Damian Harris did his normal thing. I know there was a lot of talk on Twitter beforehand. Oh, Damian Harris is in a smash spot. Just Damian Harris is never in a smash spot. Why? <laughs> because anytime a game script slightly goes wrong, like his day is screwed, and, and so you don't get you. You if guys are in a situation where they're sharing with three, or three or four or five other guys. It's never a smash spot. It could be a good matchup, and maybe things go well, right? But in a situation like this, you just don't know what's going to happen. It could be great. <laughs> you know, they come out and they lead. They keep the game close. And in those situations, he gets the ball. So if you look at Damian Harris's snaps over the last three weeks, if they're trailing, he only plays 32% of the time. If the game is within three points, he plays 51% of the time. If the team is leading, and this is what sucks, this kind of caps his upside, He's only playing 50% of the time. So really his role is capped. Now it will be interesting. What's going to happen now with Rex Burkhead gone? He could see a little bit, you know, he could see his role increase, right? Which would be great, but you still have to deal with Cam Newton really being the goal line back, And so it still kind of keeps a damper on things, but I, I will leave room for Damian Harris to have some slight upside for the remainder of the season or... The Patriots could just Tony, put Sony Michelle in Rex Burkhead's role. You know, it's funny because if you think back to Michelle at Georgia he was really known as the guy that was more of the passing down back, right? (laughs) And Nick Chubb was the guy banging it out between the tackles and running the wide zone stuff. And so we know that Michelle in his past has shown a capability to be used in ways other than a two-down banger. So it'll be interesting if they just try to put him in the Burkhead role. Now James White saw quite an increase, 57% 57 of the snaps, 22% of the targets. He only handled 19% of the rushing attempts. That's not his gig, right? But 100% of the two-minute offense and 100% of long down and distance. And that's all the Patriots were in. (laughs) They were having to try to hurry up to catch up. And they were in long down and distance quite often this last week. So James White, White, if you look at it, 21 snaps in the fourth quarter to five for Damian Harris. So it's really a backfield, man. If you can, just avoid it. I'm still not certain what's going to happen with Burkhead out. It's probably going to just remain three backs again. And plus, like I said already, Cam Newton's just sitting in the way, man.
0: Yeah. If anyone's going to emerge as the winner, I do think it's James White. We've seen historically him have real nice on-off splits with Burkhead, but to your point, really don't know what's going on. And obviously this Cam Newton offense, quite different than the one we saw, you know, White having that role in with Brady over the years. Uh, next matchup in the AFC East, Dolphins at the Jets. Dolphins sitting as seven-point favorites, 44-point over-under. Just another doozy of a game here. So I want to talk about this backfield situation because Salvin Ahmed has been someone that's really been getting fed like a feature back over the past two weeks. Even saw him get six targets last week after we didn't know if he had that in his game. And with Matt Breida coming back, uh, we just didn't know what was going to be. And it was still the Salvinok Med Show. But, uh, you know, update from Barry Jackson, who's a solid uh, Dolphin uh, beat writer, uh, who who said, quote unquote, for those who have asked, RB Miles Gaskin, who has missed three games with a sprained MCL, is doing well in his recovery. Not sure Dolphins necessarily will activate him this week, but we'll see. Should be back very soon, now eligible to come off IR. So not a ton of new information, but it does kind of match the just idea that this is not not you know an injury that's gonna keep Gaskin on IR for the entire season. And I would just say, everyone, push the brakes on Salvin Ahmed. I mean, you no, know, some of these guys I I just got to, you know, search Twitter to try to find some new information on him from a beat writer or whatever, but I end up seeing, you know, other kind of fancy takes while I'm scrolling through this. And the amount of stuff I've seen talking about how Salvin Ahmed is just broken free in this backfield and he's the alpha and like he's done all this stuff. Like, calm down. Look, I watch every game and I'm looking at the metrics too. I understand, you know, the metrics need to back up what we're seeing on film. And never once in watching all these Salvin Ahmed snaps, I've been like, wow, now that's the guy the Dolphins really need to build their offense around the rest of the year. He's fine, but calling him anything more than average, I think, is a disservice to you, you and your friends and whoever is taking, you know, your football opinion at face value. This year, we have 79 running backs with at least 25 carries. Salvenokme is 33rd in PFF rushing grade, 71st in missed force tackles per attempt, 38th in yards per carry, 53rd in yards after contact per attempt. He's fine, but he's just a guy, everybody. Miles Gaskin is the guy that they gave a three-down roll to for the first three months of the season before he got hurt. So, hey, maybe if Gaskin comes back, he's not 100%. We continue to see his backfield split, but not in any universe do I see, you know, a healthy Miles Gaskin coming back, and Salvin Ahmed continuing to keep him on the bench. So, keep your expectations, Expectations, you know, just calm. We've gotten a couple useful weeks out of him, and if Gaskin remains sidelined, he'll be a useful kind of low-end, volume-induced RB2. Just don't get it twisted. Salvin Ahmed is not the savior of this Miami Dolphins backfield Dwayne are you with me on chill out everybody on South and Ahmed and then talk about the Jets if you feel like it
1: I am I think the positive for him right is that Brita came back and didn't really do anything which he didn't before right so I think basically they're they've kind of got him in, in Gaskin's role but it's like you in Gaskin's role but it's like what's going to happen when he when Gaskin finally does come back I don't know and so I mean it's 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 like if you've picked him up and you really needed a back Great. I mean, you got a guy that you can start. I just don't know that it's going to be for long-term, so I'm with you. And so yep. on the Jets, like, you can time me at, like, 90 seconds or something. <laughs> so I'll I'll just go, you know, really quickly here. I'm going to give you one number, and it's 326. Any guess what 326 means? Well, I think I got this. Brashad Perryman air yards over the past few weeks. Dude, very close. But that's Denzel Mims air yards oh! over – Dude, two games. In two games, yeah, okay, so he has 326 okay. air yards. He had 180 last week on an A dot, Ian, of 25.7 <laughs> yards per target. And he was targeted on seven balls. The week before, he was targeted eight times. So 29 and 22% of the targets. And Joe Flacco, man, he's just pushing the ball down the field. We'll see what happens when Sam Darnold comes back. We know Darnold really loves Jameson Crowder, who, folks, he's playing all the time. He was out there for 95% of the routes. In fact, if you look at the Jets this week, they pretty much went with 11 personnel. 92% of their plays was in a package with 11 personnel. They trailed on 87% of the plays. That's it. I'm done.
0: yeah man I'm not sure if Flacco hates Jamison Crowder like just professionally or if it's personal as well <laughs> but like this this whole like Adam Gase offense always featuring a slot receiver until Joe Flacco comes and just starts chucking it downfield man he's really made these Jets games like pretty watchable over the past few weeks and for that we thank you uh, Mr. Elite Joe Flacco uh, next matchup here we got the Raiders at the Falcons finally a fun game to go through uh, open up as a pick em. now we got the Raiders as three point favorites after their impressive showing against the Chiefs on Sunday night game total sitting at a Week high 56 points. So, Dwayne, happy Derek Carr week, man. We've been uh, talking about on this podcast throughout the year. I did not imagine myself becoming, you know, one of the leaders of the respect Derek Carr movement, but here we are. And I, you know, I haven't ranked as my QB 12 this week, facing the league's single worst offense and fantasy points per game allowed to opposing QBs. So, you know, just realize everyone, as someone that has made far too many memes and gifs, you know, making fun of Derek Carr not being willing to throw downfield in the past, he is now. It's been great ever since Henry Ruggs came back in week five, Carr's deep ball rate of 14.7%, ranks fifth at the position over the past seven weeks. He's throwing downfield more than Mahomes, Rodgers, Ryan, Brady, Josh Allen. Derek Carr likes to throw deep now. It's wild. I don't know why it took, you know, seven, eight years in the league to spark this. He's had, you know, guys like Amari Cooper, uh, Michael Crabtree, even in better points of his career. Like he's had weapons throughout his career, just haven't seen this type of quarterback. So credit to John Gruden for getting this turnaround, man. And even if they haven't used rugs, like we would all want them to, clearly he's, he has had, had a big impact on the offense, so Great stuff there. And then I want to get your thoughts on this too, uh, Dwayne, because Josh Jacobs, even though last week he only had one target, it looked like his uh, role actually changed a good amount. I noticed he had 10 snaps as a pass blocker compared to just one for Devontae Booker. So, even if it didn't happen last week, uh, it does seem like a situation where maybe in DFS, like you're starting Josh Jacobs regardless, but in DFS land this week, man, might be a situation just lock button Jacobs because if we're in a situation where he could actually be getting all the pass down work too, we know he can handle it. It's just a matter of getting it. So, Truly one of the more talented backs in the league with the ball in his hands. And I'm excited, man. So let me know with the Jacobs usage and then hit me with some Falcons goodness.
1: Yeah, man, I think the key is you got to watch is Jalen Richard active. This week, they just had Jacobs and Booker active, right? So Booker basically takes every third series from Jacobs. But from a standpoint of, you know, what you just talked about, he was out there for 83% of the two-minute uh, snaps. So before that, he had been 0%, 32%. Zero percent. So he wasn't getting any of that work. It was all going to Richard. And then if you look at the long down and distance, he actually saw 100 percent of that this past week. Now, they only had one snap. So that's kind of weird. But um, (laughs) but before that, he had been zero percent, zero percent, 21 percent, zero percent. Like He's literally non-existent. And that's the role that Richard would play. So, yes, if especially if you hear that Jalen Richard is going to be inactive, I think at that point Jacobs is an absolute lock button. If you I hear that Richard is gonna be active, I would be concerned that we're gonna be back more to the same of what we saw before, where he's hovering right around the 50%, you know, of snaps, you know, he's hovering around, you know, the 30 to 40 percent, you know, of routes, uh, of routes run, you know, not as many targets, et cetera, et cetera. Which he didn't get a ton of targets this week, but you know, the underlines are all really strong on Jacobs, to your point, this last week. So I think that's what you've got to watch. You know, it's, it's the Jalen Rashard, um, you know, news. And yep. I, I don't even know why Rashard was not active. He's, I didn't he's got move. a chest injury. It was a chest injury? Okay, yeah. yeah. So you can watch the practice reports on that. You're probably going to have a pretty good feel well before we get to Sunday if you see he's got a full practice in or not. Um, as far as Atlanta goes... You know, the biggest thing here is I I you know I tweeted something on Sunday morning just trying to be nice to Todd Gurley. I know his efficiency stinks, but basically saying, like, look, man, his touches are like RB2. He's in that 20-touch range every single week. And it had been that way for four weeks in a row until last week. <laughs> it's how it works, right? That's the rule. As soon as you tweet something, this is what happens. But he had a season low, Ian, 37% of the snaps, a season low, 19% of routes. Um, 0% of the two-minute offense, only 20% of the long down and distance. So he had eight attempts and one target. That's just gross. And it stinks because if you look at the matchup this week, right, Vegas is Vegas can be had on the ground. You can really run on, on the Raiders. And so it was going to be an opportunity to maybe see Jacob, I mean, to maybe see Gurley get right. Um, and now you have to be sitting here wondering, okay. And again, because it's another team, it was coming out of the bye week. When these teams make these changes coming out of the bye week, it's like it, it concerns you, right? You're like, okay, is this like the new thing? Because Brian Hill saw a season high, forty two percent of the snaps. It's not like he did anything with it. With it, he had four target, four attempts and zero targets, right? So. You're going to have to just keep an eye on Gurley. I, it's just one week so far, but it could be a trend. Um, the good news on Ridley, 92% of the routes, so it does seem that his foot is fine. Um, he had 29% of the targets on a 17.1 ADOT, uh, three targets of 20-plus yards. So, um, you know, Ridley is a guy you just fire him up. Um, Hayden Hurst, man, you know, I, I, it's just another guy that I think continues to go underlooked, but 82% you know, route run rate on the season that's elite for a tight end there's there's about six guys that are over 80% and he's one of them um so hayden hurst is a guy that you know if somebody's just not into him if you can target him late season target you're trying to make a push in the playoffs if you if you're uh you know, if the trade window is still open in your league i love trying to buy hayden hurst on the low
0: yeah, I think Hurst could actually be the biggest beneficiary if Julio ends up missing time with his hamstring injury. We've seen Christian Blake, eliminate Al- 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 Zacarias, whose name I need to figure out how to say at some point in my life, but not today. Uh, yeah, I- Hurst has eight targets over 20 yards, dude. Like, he's the only guy in the Gronk's
1: first with 10. He may be at 11 after last night. I have to go look. But you know who else is on that list? So it's Gronk, Andrews, Kelsey, Ooh. and Hurst. That's it. Like, and so, I mean, the guys, all of his underlines are great. You know, they just need to target him a little bit
0: more. Yeah. Hopefully, we get those soon. Next matchup, Saints at Broncos. we got the Saints at six-point favorites. Game total, 46, down to 43.5. So, look, Taysom Hill went out there. He won the football game. And he looked like, you know, a legit NFL quarterback. I realize he underthrew, you know, Emmanuel Sanders by about 25 yards on that one bomb. But, hey, you know, just in terms of the expectations and the jokes people were making in the first quarter, like, we got to tip our hat to Taysom Hill and Sean Payton for going out there and getting a win. I would just say, like, this is not a situation where we saw him provide, like, more to this offense than what they were getting before. I mean, 24 points is the fewest. It's tied for the fewest the Saints have scored all season long. I don't think this was a better version of the Saints offense by any stretch of the imagination because, honestly, it just seemed like we got rid of a bunch of targets, a bunch of fantasy-friendly and real-life friendly targets to Alvin Kamara and replaced them with Taysom Hill running around like you know a chicken with his head cut off or just getting a few design carries in the second half, stole, bo- stole both the rushing touchdowns from the 10-yard line or closer. And it's really troubling for Kamara, man, for him not to catch a pass. Like I get that's not going to happen again, but clearly Hill is in that kind of Josh Allen, the Drew Locke mode where, hey, when things aren't there, they're not going to check the ball down. They're going to scramble or they're going to chuck it downfield and see what happens out there. This hurts, man. We went from maybe one of the, you know, just happiest quarterbacks in the league to check down the Alvin Kamara to potentially someone that doesn't want to do it at all. So we already have Latavius Murray, you know, playing pretty much half the snaps with Kamara last week. How much of that was Kamara being banged up and also just the overwhelmingly positive game script, you know, you know, we'll see. I think is gonna still be the 60-70% guy more weeks than not. But the usage is concerning, man. And he's still gonna be out there in your lineup and everything. But particularly in DFS land, dude, like I'm just not looking to back Kamara at his price tag in this offense because he looks like his role, his one-week role was a show of what it's normally been. And when we got guys like Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, these dudes that we can fire up for 20 plus carries. I mean, the what has made Alvin Kamara and in 2019 Christian McCaffrey just these ridiculously fancy friendly assets is these absurd receiving workloads so you take that away and it's not like they've just been constantly making you know more out of the 12 to 15 carries and other running backs it's always been those targets and those receptions those are the cheat codes in fantasy football because you're getting a full freaking point for catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage it's just you know uh, again it's a cheat code it doesn't make sense that it is that way it is that way and we've been taking advantage of it but you take that away and it's truly concerning for Alvin Kamara so He's still going to be in everyone's top five, top six, running backs. I mean, he'll probably be top three, let's be honest. But I just think that, you know, really keep an eye on this situation because even though Taysom Hill built a nice little, you know, highlight reel for himself last week and he's someone that you can start a quarterback and, you know, tight end if you don't remove him from ESPN or some craziness going on there, Taysom Hill's fine. He's going to get his production. Just realize, you know, the biggest guy that just got hurt by having Hill under center, definitely Alvin Kamara. Dwayne, you know, scale from one to ten. How how concerned are you with Kamara with Taysom under center and then give me some Broncos goodness?
1: I'm at a seven or eight, man. I yep. mean, it's it really is concerning because I mean this is an offense. What concerns me is if you think back, you know, you've you've watched you you watch every game, the design plays for Kamara weren't even there. Right? So it's almost like one Sean Payton. Yeah, Sean, if you think think of all the little tunnel screens. All the stuff like that that they run, right, you know, for Kamara. And they didn't do any of that with Taysom Hill. So it's almost like, you know, Sean Payton to some extent is saying, okay, Taysom Hill's ability to do X kind of replaces, right, Kamara's ability to do Y. And so we need to attack these other areas of the field. We don't need to replicate and have two people attacking this same spot, you know, we can have Hill do that, and then now what do we want Kamara to do? But the, it's it's very problematic, man, and I think you, you named a perfect example is Josh Allen. You know, this puts Alvin Kamara's utilization, right, would put him in like the Devin Singletary kind of range. Ooh. I'm not saying they're Ooh. the same player, but we don't want to see that, right? We don't want to see that at all, man. Nobody wants to start a running back that gets 10 carries and one target. Yeah. It doesn't matter who their name is. You, just, you don't want to do it. So I'm very, very concerned, um, you know, I'm not going to panic yet. I'm going to obviously. I'm not pulling Kamara from any of my lineups, and in DFS, if I think every if if the field's going to be off of him, you know, and he's going to have like two three percent ownership, then I'm still I would I would jump in on Kamara for that. But otherwise, like you said, if I'm in cash lineups or if I think the field's going to be anywhere like around ten percent, I'm going to be under the field yep. on the Kamara ownership. I think that's the smart play. Um, so I mean, if you think about um, you know the Broncos, really, there's not a lot you know, that's changed here. I mean, you've got Drew Locke still continuing to struggle, but he managed to make it through the game, you know, after, you know, being in danger of not being able to play. And I know folks, you know, are really, you know, they're pounding on Locke. But to be honest, he really is – if you have fantasy assets with the Broncos, he's the guy you want out there, right? Because you know he'll keep slinging it. He'll, you know, He's going to make mistakes, but he doesn't care. He'll just come back and do it again. He doesn't mind. And that keeps Jerry Judy viable. It keeps KJ Hamler viable. It keeps all, you know, is their efficiency great? No. You would like to see a lot more. I mean, if you look at Jerry Judy, 30% and 29% of the targets over the last two weeks, if you look at his yards, they're nuts. 181 and 132, right? So 313 yards just over the last two weeks for Jerry Judy. You'd hope to see more fantasy production. Out of that, but the thing is, it's eventually those some of those things are going to hit, right? I worry that if Drew Locke leaves the lineup, right, you just lose those down the field type targets, right, and it becomes much more of a check down type offense. Um, This last week, you saw a little bit of a dip in KJ Hamler's snaps, and it was really just because they didn't need to run eleven personnel. Um, They were. Uh, they were within three points, fifty-eight percent of the snaps, and they led for twenty percent of the snaps. And Denver's just not used to doing that. They typically are trailing all of the time. Uh, last little quick note: uh, Mar- You know, uh, Melvin Gordon the third had a really good week. But as far as utilization goes, I mean, he's pretty much settled into a role over these last three to four weeks. He's going to see forty to fifty percent of the attempts. He's gonna he's gonna see fifty to seventy percent of the two minute offense, sixty to eighty percent of the long down and distance, and he's gonna share some of the work down inside of the five. So Lindsay is not getting any of that work really in the two minute or long long down and distance. He gets a little bit, and so does Freeman. He he'll he'll get out there occasionally. You gotta have that third guy. You, know, <laughs> you gotta work in. It's just it's insane. Um, so just remember with MG three, you know he he scored some touchdowns this last week. They were in a good game script he's he's in a solid spot, but if he's a sell high candidate, you know, to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say in short. Because really he is still he's he's mostly splitting the work, um, and it's not a really great offense. Yeah.
0: I appreciate Drew Locke making you know, some of these games as entertaining as possible, but not exactly the most fancy friendly guy for these other guys to have under center, at least for the backfield, that is. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to to $100. That's right. You bet. They cover a risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds, odds boost every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign up. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage, paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-NINE WITH IT. Uh, next matchup here. We got four more to go. Thank you guys always for tuning into the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast and sticking with us, everybody. Uh, we got the 49ers at Rams up next. Rams are sitting at seven-point favorites. Game total started at 47, down to 40 45. So this backfield, we got the 49ers coming off the bye, getting healthier. You know, Kyle Shanahan went into the bye saying he hoped to have both Mostert and Tevin Coleman back for week 12. We got Mostert dealing with an ankle injury right now, Coleman with a knee, but it, it just depends what's going to happen. And this could be one of the most important situations to watch because as we've seen for pretty much the past decade and a half, or if you want to include Mike Shanahan too the past, you know, 30 years. And when you have a Shanahan calling plays, we want his running back in fantasy football. And this matchup this week in particular isn't great. You know, if you have these guys, uh, you know, facing this Rams just Aaron Donald front seven and you want to just sit sit out for a week, you know, and chill. I get it, but I will say if Mostert and Tevin Coleman remain sideline, which doesn't sound particularly likely, don't be afraid to trust that Jarek McKinnon, man, even though he had that dud in week 10 uh, PPR, you know, RB38 before that in three starts. He was RB14, RB6 and RB8. Again, doesn't really matter who it is, but if we can identify the lead back in this 49ers offense, it's going to be a fantasy friendly role. If everyone's active, I'm fine going with Mostert, you know, probably in that RB 20 to RB 24 range, just a little worried about what the role could look like, but you know, he has proven himself to be the lead dog when healthy. So most dirt, but just really keep an eye on this situation as we get into the weekend. Last point I would make, you know, seeing some people projecting Jalen Ramsey to be shadowing, Debo Samuel I don't think that would be the case and even if it is it doesn't matter everyone the way they use Debo Samuel is just not really even shadowable I don't know if that's a word but it is now and you look back at you know what happened in week six when they played the Rams he wasn't shadowed and he had six catches for 66 yards in a score and it was like the most hilarious 66 six yards ever because I don't know if the ball ever traveled further than like six inches out of golf's hand to give him those pop passes maybe he had a screen there that was the game where he had like 92 yards out for the catch and 66 total receiving yards so hey it works man he's a running back with the ball in his hands, and I'm not trying to take away anything from him as a you know a route running receiver, but he really is. You know, he's not AJ Brown. There's only one AJ Brown, but if you just look at raw broken tackle numbers from 2019, it was AJ Brown and Debo Samuel atop the league. So he's dangerous with the ball in his hands, and don't let you know a shadow matchup that again, if it happens, isn't really going to be that big of an influence on a snap-to-snap snap basis. Change your decision making there. What is going on with the Rams, who are suddenly a pass-first offense? Apparently,
1: yeah, man. I have to say one quick thing. Anytime you get Mike Evans against a physical-type corner, it's like must-watch TV. You don't have to watch. You can literally just like just watch him and Ramsey, you know, I mean, it's the same way, obviously with Marshawn Lattimore and it's even worse because they definitely have some bad blood, you know, between (laughs) them, but just watching those two guys battle, I mean, and they both got each other, you know, different times, but you know, not many, not many receivers have what it's take to really go just be super physical with Ramsey. That's a, he's a really strong guy. Not only is he fast and agile, but like, you know, the strength that guy has for how big he is, is pretty amazing. So it's fun watching that and watching those guys go back and forth as far as the Rams go. um, You know, I know we tried to get excited right around Acres, right? There was an Akers sighting, and we're just kidding. We're just <laughs> kidding. We're just kidding about it. It remains really just a three-way backfield. He's just kind of getting mixed in here or there. If you look at it, Daryl Henderson's the first down back. He's getting most of those carries, right, over 50% of those. Um, if you look at You know, Malcolm Brown, he's the guy getting all the long down and distance. He gets all the two minute work. But here, over the last couple of weeks, he has also taken over 48% of the short down and distance, whereas Daryl Henderson was getting that before. So, Malcolm Brown, you know, not a super exciting guy, but if you're just in a really tough spot and you had to plug one of these guys in, like he would be the one, like if you came to me and said, I just need a floor which one gives me the best chance in PPR to at least just give me 10 points? I would say Malcolm Brown, right? If you ask me which one would I want to put in because I thought, you know, they gave you the most upside, I think it would still be Henderson. And I do think it's still somewhat of a hot hand approach, right? I think we're seeing that with a lot of these backfields that we've already talked about. Um, you know, you'll notice in the first drive, Ian, if you go look at this, like, because in, in the back end stats that we have, you can look at it, first drive, second drive, third, third drive. You look at that first drive, like a lot of these backfields are really evenly split. It's like they're almost or over the first two drives, they're looking at each guy, and then it'll start to split apart from there, like in drives three, four, five, six. Now, some of that can be dictated, you know, by game script. So, for right now, though, the Rams are just stuck in, you know, this purgatory of RBBC times three. You'd rather just not be playing any of them. They're just a balanced offense, period, right? You know, the receivers, you know, it had been Josh Reynolds who had been the guy who had been on, and Robert Woods had been the guy who had been on the outs, Also, just kidding, 14 targets, 30%. And we know Bobby Trees is always good for a rushing attempt or two, which is always great for him. So there's just going to be a guy left out every weekend. And so it's really hard to predict when it's going to come. Sometimes it's matchup dependent. Sometimes it's just the way the read and the progressions go. They're all good players, right? Reynolds has shown that he's capable. We know Robert Woods is good. Obviously, Cooper Cup is a beast. We all know this. If you're playing any of these guys, You just have to know any one of them could really come up with just that five to seven point game each week. But it's tough to bench them because
0: at any point they can give you the 20 to 30. I imagine this is tough for, you know, defenses to game plan against, which, hey, that's Sean McVay's job. So kudos to him. But you're not making it easy easy on us, man. Not making it easy on the uh, fantasy football analysts of the world. We got to get out of our mother's basements at some point. We got guys like Sean McVay giving this to us. But it is what it is. Uh, Next matchup here, we got the Chiefs at the Buccaneers, Kansas City, three-point favorites, game total up to 56 after opening at 53. So here we are going into Week 12, and Patrick Mahomes is pretty much replicating the same MVP performance we saw in 2018. He's been a little bit worse, but it's honestly negligible, man. In 2020, he's at 90.5 PFF passing grade, was at 92.8 in 2018. Eight yards per attempt versus 8.5 yards per attempt. QB rating is at 109 versus 110. Overall, Mahomes is averaging 26.01 fantasy points per game after going for 26.07 back in 2018. It is the same world beater. Maybe we haven't seen the same just absurd counting stats through the air, but he's been making up for it with more of a rushing floor than we've seen uh, really throughout his career. So ever since he got healthy, kind of halfway through that 2019 season, we've seen the stuff he can do on the ground. But it really is just wild, you know, how we're already kind of taking Mahomes uh, for granted. Almost he's in that like LeBron sphere of a guy where he's just putting up absurd numbers and we're just like, yeah, you know, it's Patrick Mahomes. And I believe it was uh, PFF Moo who brought up the point where he's looking at, I think that he was measuring an EPA, but what makes Mahomes so special is that his bad games are like average games. I mean, we see Russell Wilson against the Rams, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers against the Buccaneers. Like, even the best quarterbacks in the league have a down game at some point, point. and I'm pretty sure PFF moves main takeaway, and apologies if I'm messing this up, but I'm pretty sure the main takeaway was that Mahomes literally has not had like a below average game compared to the typical NFL quarterback. So, absolutely wild, and you know, just the level teams have to play to even beat these guys remains ridiculous. So, you know, Tyree, Kelsey, they're going to continue doing their thing. Uh, you know, Kelsey, will we ever finish as anything other than the tight end one in the season again? We don't know. Scholars still debate. So, uh, last point I would make with this is just that the backfield, it is, you know, going to Clyde edwards there, but it's pretty much like we've been saying, man, like, you know, after those just down weeks, you know, we were not writing him off on this podcast. We were saying, hey, look, he's going to be probably an RB2 more times than not. And yeah, found the end zone a couple times last week, but still got Le'Veon Bell out there stealing away some carries. Daryl Williams is still there, you know, two-minute back there, trusting. So, Clyde Alaire, perfectly fine. You know, RB2 to put out there. Unfortunately, though, that top five, top six ceiling we were hoping for, likely not going to be here in 2020. Dwayne, what's going on with the Buccaneers team, man, that looks like they're the freaking next big thing one week and then just kind of struggle-busting the next?
1: Yeah, I think you just see a quarterback and receivers that are still just not all you know, 100% in sync. And if you look at Brady, he's different than a lot of these other quarterbacks we talk about, right? Like his game is really built around knowing exactly where the other player is going to be. It's around anticipation. And not to say these other guys aren't, but he's not an ad-lib really kind of quarterback, right? He's playing within a certain kind of scheme. It's different than the scheme he's always played in. He's being asked to push the ball down the field more. Um, Antonio Brown is new to the offense. So I think they're still honestly just working out you know the kinks, and in some games things seem to hit on all cylinders, and in other games it's kind of like, oh wait, what what just happened? You know, um, it's a situation where all the bad things come out right in one game. And, and to your point, we've we we saw a really good game the week before, a really bad a really bad game the week before that, and we're back to a bad game this week. So I think we're just going to continue to deal with that a little bit. It may even out. I think Brady's easily right still. uh Right in the middle, you know, middle of the QB one tier just because Mm -hmm. of his weapons alone. But if you want to talk about Antonio Brown, you know, he's had eight, eight and 13 targets right over the first three games. So that is uh, sorry, five, eight and 13 targets. So 14 percent, 21 percent, 28 percent. And even more interesting. You know he's not out there for all the routes, right? Sixty-one percent and sixty-nine percent, but his targets per route when he's out there, Brady's looking for him. So the targets per route are thirty percent and thirty-seven percent, which yeah. are both highest on the team. Um, so Godwin. Still got his 10 targets. That, this is really the first game in a while where we've seen Godwin not have a finger or a hamstring or some sort of issue bothering him. So it was really good just to see Godwin do that. And he was out there for 99% of the snaps, was in a route on 100% of Tom Brady's dropbacks. So you're going to be doing good with Chris Godwin. And then you also have Mike Evans, right? And he's still pretty much out there all the place too. 95% and 92% of, of uh, has a route run rate over the last two weeks weeks with AB still getting work. So 11 targets and eight targets. And he definitely gets more of the looks, you know, down in the end zone area. You know, he's the guy that obviously Brady likes there. So he's still seeing the high levers targets. And the biggest thing really for Evans over the last few weeks, because a lot of folks, you know, are, are, are talking about, you know, he's having this late season, you know, kind of boom, if you will. And the biggest thing is that he's getting to play in the slot whereas before he never was. He was always lining up outside and going deep. And so I think basically they felt bad that they weren't getting in the ball enough and all these other guys were getting the ball. But over the last three weeks, 45%, 45% and 34% of his routes have come from the slot. And he's seen um, six targets over that time period, um, two, two, and two, out of the slot. So he, those are targets he just wasn't getting before. So you take those games where he was seeing four or five. Now you had another two with him working inside where Brady likes to go and it's just helping Mike Evans out. So I think, again, this is going to be another offense where you're going to have to start them all (laughs) (laughs) and you're going to have to start them all every week, unless you really have a better option. Um, Because if you don't, you're going to start them on the week they have a dud and then you're going to bench them on the week they blow up. Right. So the good news is the Bucks' defense is not playing as good as it was early on. So they're mostly in shootouts right now. The secondary for the Bucs, you know, the outside cornerbacks were really like a strength of their team early on in the season. The pass rush is still there, but their coverage is not where it was, you know, in those first three, four five weeks of the season, which is opening the door for them to need to just continue to be in pass mode all the time.
0: Yeah, clearly a team that still needs to come together just to, to some extent and hey, they have as good of a chance to do so if not better than almost anyone else cuz look, tough matchup against the Chiefs here. I think we'd all, you know, expect them to probably drop this one, but then week 13 by and they finish the season with the Vikings at home, at the Falcons, at the Lions and the Falcons at home again. So, Brady is not going to have to play a cold weather game, man, until, you know, January at some point with the way this uh, schedule shaping up. So, we'll see. Could, you know, what would, would make a lot of sense if the Buccaneers are able to go into the playoffs on quite the hot streak. Uh, two more games, everyone. Quick shout out to our sponsors first, though. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's $40 value for just $20, ladies and gentlemen. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fights. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Sunday Night Football, we got the Bears at the Packers. Green Bay sitting as 8.5 point favorites. Game total at 45. So, Bears, we don't really know who's under center. We got Nick Foles banged up. We got Mr. Trubisky banged up. Doesn't matter who's out there. I don't really know. and it's just, The whole thing is just, you know, rough spot for Allen Robinson. And it sucks that here we are again. You know, we were hanging our hat on Nick Foles maybe being the best, you know, quarterback of his career, as laughable as that is. It probably is still true, you know, especially if we just take Foles out. I mean, it's definitely true if we take Foles as his entire Career, but even just what Foles to put you know on paper in twenty twenty specifically, still might be the best QB play a Rob has uh, had. Sadly enough, so tough for him, man. If it's gonna be. You know, back to Trubisky or Foles, like, either way, it's going to be one of them. You know, A-Rob, he's still someone you're going to have in your starting lineups. But, you know, this guy that we were really hoping he could be, you know, this top eight wide receiver throughout the year, he still had some big weeks. But it's going to be tough, probably going to have shadow coverage from Jair Alexander. And, you know, while shadow coverage isn't something that we should, you know, be a reason to start, you know, your 32nd-ranked wide receiver over your 8th-ranked wide receiver, that's not going to be an easy day for uh, A-Rob in that matchup. So a whole lot of negatives going for him. I think really, you know, other than Alan Robinson, the only other guy that we can even start this week, is Dave Montgomery, if he's able to clear the concussion protocol. Guys, he is the definition of a volume-based RB2, and we use this term a lot. And literally, it's just a nice way of saying that this guy is nothing special as a ball carrier, but he's getting the volume that we're looking for in fantasy football land. That's what he has been. Since Tariq Cohen went out of the picture, we got five games with Montgomery working as the lead back, 80% snaps in every single game, and finished as the PPR RB 27, 13 14, 24, and 19. So I don't think we're getting a top 12 performance this week, but I would be surprised if he finishes outside the top 24, as long as he has this sort of robust role. Dwayne, him with some Packers goodness.
1: Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for Montgomery is someone along the line, right. in his coaching told him that the end zone is like on the sideline. So he just <laughs> goes, he runs to the side all the time. He's like, coach, I'm going to score. They're like, no, run the other way. It's like kids at <laughs> a soccer game. Um, so, Alan Lazard returned to the lineup. Um, MVS remained um, in the lead role as the wide receiver, two with 88% of the routes. A slight dip from his 94% and 98%, but I think really MVS has carved out his role as the field stretcher, you know, Ian. So I think we're going to continue to see him. So Lazard got to work out of the slot with 54%. In fact, um, if you're looking at the Packers this week, 75% of their plays came out of 11 personnel. That's by far the most in the season. Their previous high was 55% right so that's really good for you know Lazard. that's good for scantling we know we know Devonte Adams is going to be out there but for the other two guys it helps him stay on the field a little bit more the other guy that has got a really solid trend and i think it may have just been injury related ian we had saw we saw a great start to the season just out of the, out of the blocks with Robert Tanya, and then he just kind of cooled off but he was dealing with a couple of different injuries and if you look at him over the last few weeks his trends are really good so um, over the last three weeks here, his uh, routes run per drop back 54%, 71%, and last week 81%. So again, you heard us talk about 80% earlier with Hayden Hurst. Tanyan, we'll see if he can stay above that number. But two weeks in a row over the 70% mark puts him in the startable conversation. He's had four and five targets over the last two weeks. But most importantly, those are coming from... None other than Aaron Rodgers, right? So those are really high-value targets. Um, I would like to do a study at some point. Like, what are the value of of targets, right, from different quarterbacks? That, like, sounds yeah. like something we need to do over the offseason. But we know, um, you know, from a standpoint of we watch the games, you know Tanyan's uh, targets are more valuable than, say, Ryan Finley's targets, right? <laughs> the targets from Ryan Finley. So, That's about it with the Packers. The only other thing I would say is Aaron Jones, right? So I know a lot of people are bent out of shape. They're upset about Aaron Jones. I hear a lot of, oh, man, look at his snaps. Look at his routes. Look at his carries. This is what Aaron Jones has been against since week one. This is who you drafted. And if you didn't know that, well... Sorry. (laughs) He's been an efficiency play, right? He's been an efficiency play and all the concerns we've ever had about Aaron Jones has never been talent. It's just been that they like to rotate backs and it's finally hitting just like last year. We had concerns, you know, about the Ravens offense, right? Could Lamar Jackson really pass well enough, you know, to keep them moving. Could they not run the ball enough to keep passing options viable? Same kind of thing. We're seeing that all of a sudden the outlier season goes away and you're having to deal with reality. And that's really what we're dealing with with Aaron Jones. He's still squarely in the RB1 conversation. You got to start him every single week. He could still give you that 100, t- 100 yards, three touchdown game at any moment. Um, he's still involved, you know, in the passing game. Is Jamal Williams a pain in the ass? Yes. Should Jamal Williams be getting half the snaps and half of that work? No. We all agree. But Matt LaFleur doesn't, right? And we don't have any say in the matter. So you just got to live with it at this point.
0: And it's not like Jamal Williams is the league's worst running back. It's just that Aaron right. Jones... You know, he's hey, so he could be the league's best running back if he had enough workload. Like, we don't know. Probably not the best. But either way, anyone's idea of a top tenor and the fact that he's not getting that sort of workload has been the frustrating part. Last game, everybody. Monday night football. We got the Seahawks at the Eagles. Seattle open up as three-point favorites. Went up to 5.5 because, hey, they're facing the freaking Eagles. Uh, game total of 53, down to 51. So uh, a couple things here. With the Seahawks, first of all, Russ hasn't been cooking quite as much lately. But I don't know if it's not that's necessarily you know a philosophical change with the offense, or if it's just you know a little bit game script, or if it's a little bit that hey Russell Wilson is down to run again everybody. In 2018 and 2019 he only averaged 23 and then 21 rushing yards per game. He's at 36.7 right now. That's what he hit in 2017. But before then, like we'd have to go back the first four years of his career to find Russ running around this much. He already has more rushing yards in 2020 than he did in 2019. So even though we might be seeing a slightly less pass, pass happy Russ. Moving forward, man, he's picking up these fancy friendly rushing yards and he's going to continue to be, you know, a top three quarterback on a weekly basis because of that. Now with the backfield, because look, we're starting DK Metcalf, we're starting Tyler Lockett every single week. Again, it's not, even though we had a couple of weeks where it was, you know, Metcalf or Lockett, it's, guys keep going back to well with both of these. And I, I hate just the, you know, critiques about Tyler Lockett sometime where I know he finally had just like a regular solid game and not a complete boom, but another off-season, uh study we got to look at, man, like, what is more valuable with a wide receiver? Do you want someone giving you those 15 points every week? Or do you want the guy giving you 30 points or three points? Because I don't know, man, having those two week winning explosions, I think are a little bit underrated. So another question to kind of answer in the offseason, because I see people floating that around like, oh, no, this isn't good. It's not even useful to get these two explosions. Like, obviously, no, that's very useful. But I think it might even be more useful than, uh, you know, your type that just doesn't quite have that in their range of outcomes. But main event here is this backfield, because Pete Carroll has said, that Chris Carson is expected to be back. Now, it is Pete Carroll saying that, so we need to take that with a massive grain of salt, you know, based on what his kind of historical track record is when talking about his players' injuries. But, you know, we got to keep an eye on this because Rashad Penny is allegedly going to be practicing next week, and Carlos Hyde has looked fine enough when he's been out there and healthy this year. So, Chris Carson's workload earlier in the year, like, he was the lead back, and he was fine because he was getting receptions, and he was scoring a lot inside of, you know, the league's highest scoring offense, or at least they were, uh, you know, going into last week. But he actually played fewer than of the offensive snaps in all but one of the team's first five games so hey if he's healthy you know he's going to be a top 15 option as a position if not top 10 but just realize you know it might be a little bit more like a 15 touch workload per week as opposed to that 20 plus that we were seeing last year and there is even a chance that we see Hyde or Rashad Penny if he can ever get healthy uh kind of make this into a committee so hey Carson's one of the funnest guys to watch in the league. He runs so freaking hard. They love him, and he's going to be their lead back. Just not sure if that lead back role is quite as big as we saw in past years with Russ now both throwing more often and running more often as well. Dwayne, what's going on with, uh man, uh, an Eagles team that I think we all thought at some point would kind of break out of this funk, but here we are in Week 12, and it's not looking much better.
1: Well, man, if there's ever an opportunity to get your passing game going, it's when you face the Seahawks. yeah. You know, if you look at the if you look at their rank against wide receivers, it's insane. It's a plus fifteen point eight PPR points versus what receivers average coming in against the Seahawks. So, to give you some perspective, the next closest team is five point eight points above average. So, it's like you have the Seahawks and then you have everyone else. So. <laughs> If you're in DFS, like, it's fire up your Jalen Rager. It's fire up your Travis Fulgham. They're both out there plenty. Uh, Each of them had 95% of the routes. It's just turning into more of a balanced offense in the passing game, Ian, because they're healthier now. So you've got Rager. You've got Fulgham. You've got Goddard. You've got Miles Sanders involved in the backfield. Sanders is the guy that I would just mention to folks. You know, I know he hasn't had the blow-up game yet since he's come back. Yes, I know the Eagles look really terrible But his utilization is right there in the RB1 mix, right? And that's what you're looking for. You know, he's seen 72% and 60% of the snaps. Um, routes are right around the 50% range targets, 14% and 15%. So that's five each of the last two weeks. That's really good. And he's getting first read targets, which we've talked about in the past. That's really good for running backs because t- because typically you're just a check down. So they're designing plays for him. Um, and then if you look at his work in the ru- in the running game, 63% and 64% of the carries. So 15 and 16. So this is a guy that's going to be right around 20, 22 I would say range 18 to 22 touches per week. You know he has big playability. Their offensive line has been playing better and better despite how – run blocking, pass blocking, not, not as much. All right, let me qualify that. Run blocking, it's actually been decent. So Sanders is really, he's a buy low guy and he's a guy that really should be owned in DFS. I think most people actually will look at the receivers for DFS and he could kind of be the, the way that you pivot off of some of those plays depending on what ownership looks like. And you can get a back that's really not quite bell cow, but just below that in, but he has that big playability. So I like all these guys and Dallas Goddard, man, 98% of the routes last week, we, we, we talked about 80% being good. This dude was out there for 98% of the routes. So Dallas Goddard is an absolute just you got to have him in your lineup every single week there's pretty much unless you have kelsey andrews um you know who am i missing here ian i mean i'm pretty much starting waller uh, waller yeah anybody else because yeah yeah, anybody else i'm start he's he's above right now i'm starting him over pretty much everyone else he needs to be in lineups he should be owned in every single league if i haven't looked at his pricing this week but it was insanely low last week like 3,800 you know, on DraftKings. So if he's, if he's still low, he definitely needs to be owned, even if he's one of those guys that even if you know it's going to be where the chalk is, you can beat the chalk in other places. You don't have to try to do it on, you know, with Dallas Goddard.
0: Yeah, we've been keeping the faith with Goddard and good reason for getting that late game touchdown last week. I I love the Miles Sanders call. I mean, look, I've been setting out the helicopters lately. We got some issues we're working through with the union and insurance and all that kind of stuff. But if I was going to send one out last week, it was going to be Miles Sanders. Obviously, that would have been gone crashing down. But I do just think, you know, his usage is going up. And anytime you have a player, you know, of his ability getting, again, that 18 to 20 touches per week, we're going to see him start to get in the end zone more and more often here. Moving forward, somebody has to go in the end zone at some point point for the Philadelphia Eagles might as well be Miles Sanders that is going to do it everybody thank you for sticking around with us and listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast thank you Dwayne for taking the time to talk with me as always man everyone make sure you follow Dwayne on Twitter at Dwayne McFarlane he is Context Matters and Dwayne tell the people where they can find one of the best fantasy pieces on the internet the utilization report
1: yeah, man, at Pro Football Focus, of course, mm. and it will be up tomorrow. You can also find it at Establish the Run. So we have a, it's kind of a joint uh, effort that we have going between PFF and all those cool guys over at ETR. And you can also find me at the Fantasy Football Hustle, which is a podcast that I do with Brian
0: Drake. We do it every Tuesday night. So if you guys haven't heard that, give it a listen. Good stuff all around. Yeah, got to love our ETR fam. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Ian Harditz. He is Dwayne. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.